Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian in history, and quite literally so, not just in modern history, but historians who are going back and looking at uh, the history of the Olympics going back to ancient Greece, from what we can tell, Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian in Olympic history, ever. I mean, I suppose if you were to take all of those medals that he has won, I don't know that even he could swim across the pool if he was wearing them uh, all at the same time. Um, why? What is it about this man that enables him to succeed so well once he hits the water? Well, certainly a lot of it has to do with his training. A lot of it has to do with his coaching. A lot of it has to do with his, his discipline and his grit and his willpower. Absolutely. But a lot of it simply has to do with this. The man was made to swim. Uh, physiologists are, are looking at just the structure of Phelps's body. And when you look at him, you see that what they can, from what they can discern, he seems to have um, an extraordinary lung capacity. He has a, a large torso, relatively, for his body size, short legs, and this insane wingspan when he stretches out his arms of some 80 inches, which goes far beyond you know, the, the normal person. Uh, so you really could say, to a, a significant degree, the man was made, designed, crafted, meant to swim. Friends, we were made for something else, all of us here this morning, made for community, made for life shared together, enmeshed with one another. Uh, I can say that with all sincerity and all certainty because of how we were made and whose image we were made, according to whose likeness we were made. Our Creator, God Himself, is eternally communing. He is a relational God forever before there was time. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in the image of an eternally relational, communing God made in His image according to His likeness, that means we were made for one another. So whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether being here this morning with a bunch of people jazzes you or drains you, you were made for community. You were made to do life, to share life with other people. It's how you were made. It's part of your design specs. And we are, no, we are never um, more human. I could even go so far as to say that. We are never more human than when we are, in fact, in connection and community with one another. That's the implications of all of this. I know it's a mystery how God is one God in three persons. That is a mystery. Anybody who says they understand that and writes a lot about it, just don't read the book. It's not worth describing at length. It's more worth stating, simply. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's the God in whose image and likeness we can be. If you have a Bible, I ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at this, um, some of the implications of this together this morning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if you're trying to, to find that in your Bible and you don't have the ability to cheat electronically with some tablet or something, uh, that's fine. It's, Hebrews is found after a bunch of T's in, in the New Testament. Okay, so maybe that'll help you. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus, and there's a P squeezed in there, Philemon. Um, but then you hit Hebrews, 
And if you find James, that's a good book, but you've gone too far. Um, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Okay, Hebrews 10, chapters 19 through 25 is our text this morning. I'm honing in on verses 24 and 25, but we're going to start back earlier in verse 19. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your word uh, as surely as you have given us ears. Uh, we need to hear you speak. As surely as you have given us, given us minds with which to think, uh, we ask that you would give us understanding this morning. Um, and as surely as you have given us lives to live, uh, we ask that you would shape them, shape us, shape our paths as we would, that we would walk more faithfully, more faithfully in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Summer Olympics, they're coming to a close. Um, after 16 days, I believe it is, that the Olympics run, uh, after some 300-plus events in 35 different sports, the athletes are about to head home. Some of them, of course, have headed home, but you know, in terms of the closing ceremonies and all that, they're about to head home with a lot, a lot of them with, with medals, and all of them, certainly with memories, all of them, all of them, with what I'll call definitive possessions. You know, what they've experienced you know, in, in these games over these last 16 days is a, it has, it puts a mark upon you, and so they're heading home. You might say with definitive, some tangible, some intangible, definitive possessions. Our text is telling us here this morning that we all, athletes or not, have definitive possessions, definitive possessions in Christ. You back up the beginning of what I read, the, the first thing being that we have a new and living way. Access to God. Access to the living God himself. If we are followers of Jesus, that's the first thing. Confidence. Confidence to draw near. If, if you're his, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have the confidence that the author of Hebrews is speaking of there. And therein can draw near and need to. That's the first thing. The second thing is, the reason for that, the reason that we have this great confidence is because of our great priest, Jesus the very one who has opened the way into God's throne room, ushers us in, assuring us that we belong there. That we belong there with him. So we have this great confidence and this great priest, these definitive possessions. And because of that, that's what then um, forms the basis, the rationale, the reason for the uh, the instruction, the commands that then flow out of that threefold. It's like a like a, uh, the stability of a three-legged stool or the strength of a three-stranded fabric, these three commands that then flow out of that confidence that we have in Jesus. 
The first thing being in verse 22, in faith we are to draw near. Alluded to that already. Verse 23, uh, in, in hope we are to hold fast to the truth. And then in love, verses 24 and 25, we are to consider some things. Consider some things about one another. So faith, hope, and love. You see this together, verse 22, 23, 24, and then 25. We're looking at the third one, the third one of the three. In love, we are to consider some things regarding one another within the family of God, within the body of Christ. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Not just be considerate, not just hold the door open for somebody or you know yield to them at the curing machine, but I mean, beyond that, what, what, it's, it's consider something. Well, we get a hint of that if you go back to Hebrews 3, where he uses, the author uses the same word in this context. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Oh, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So that gives us a clue, because what that has to mean is that to consider Jesus means to look at him, to look towards him, to think on him, to study him, to let our minds be occupied with him to consider Jesus. And now we're being told to consider some things regarding ourselves. Well, not just ourselves, but one another, together. So putting all this together as one package, let me put it this way. We have these definitive possessions, this great assurance of access to God because of this great work by our great priest. And because of that, there are these three things that the author tells us. We're to draw near, we're to hold fast, and we're to consider these things, meaning that we are to Look at, think about, study, dwell on these things. These things occupy our thoughts to do, to carry out some actions, to be about something specific in shared life with one another. Okay, that's what it means to consider. There's an intentionality and an intensity to that. But what would it be? What would it be? What is it to pursue that? And how, how, how do we do that? Or put another way, what's, what's the goal that we're to be chasing after here, according to the author of Hebrews, according to Holy Scripture? What is the goal that we're to be chasing after here, and what are the means? How do we go about that? Well, let's look at that together. First point, our goal. What is it that we're to be striving after, pushing towards, striving, struggling together at, with? Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I'm just going to surgically pick this apart, that we would understand it better. Okay? Um, we are to, first of all, to stir up one another. Now, what does that mean? It means to incite. It means to provoke. It means to stimulate. It means that because of the presence, our presence, in the lives of some other people, something is about to happen. We are to be a catalyst in the lives of the people around us in this, in this context of what the author of Hebrews is speaking. Now, why? Why, why do you need to, to stir up some person or some person's? Because they're not moving. <laughs> right? I mean, that stands to reason. You have to stir something that's still. So we're being called to stir up what we're calling, being called to move one another. Towards what? Again, just getting, just looking at the text. To love and good works. To love, the Greek word agape, some of you have probably heard of that, meaning selfless concern and interest towards another person, uh, meaning costly affection and interest and actions flowing out of our lives into just as 
I mean, my goodness, Jesus, as Jesus has demonstrated, as Jesus has declared, as Jesus has spoken into and over and towards us, this agape love, we are to be stirring one another us, one another up in that towards. And this then tells us the next thing. It's not just sentimental. It's not just emotional. It's not just a Hallmark card kind of thing. It's action. Love and good works. Sacrificial action. Sometimes burden carrying, which you know does mean if I'm going to help you carry your burdens, it means now I've just sloughed some of it onto me. Right? So it's costly oftentimes. It's agape love, these good Work. So this is what this is the goal. This is what we are to do. This is what we are to stir up in the lives of one another. Love and good works. That's what we're to consider. That's what we're to be focusing in on with intentionality. With, with we're to be planning this, recognizing apparently, according to Scripture, it's so important that we have to be pursuing it with intentionality. But because we have to be told. Apparently, it doesn't come naturally, so we have to pursue it with intentionality. You see? It's not going to happen if we don't pursue it, is the implication of what the author of, of Hebrews is, is saying here. Put it this way. It, 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 if we're taking this seriously, it should change the way we see one another. I mean, you know, you could literally, I'm not going to make you do this, but I mean, look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you, and recognize that these People, these professing believers, if that's who they are sitting around you, you then say of say to yourself of them, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. These are my 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 family. This is the the, the these are my the fellow members of a family of which I am a part. These are the uh, fellow members of a body of which I am a part. How can I how can I then how is it incumbent on me then to incite, to stir up love in their life? What would that look like? What would it look like to incite, to encourage, to stir up good works in their lives? What would it mean for me to model that? What would it mean for me to live that out? What would it mean for me to speak in such a way that those things would be encouraged, that the Lord could take those things and use them in His hand? Now, we're not talking about, by the way, being meddling busybodies. That's not what the author of Hebrews is speaking of here. But he is saying we are called to live as what we are. Members of the body of Christ. Members of a family that take a living, active interest in the welfare of one another because it's a shared endeavor. There's a one-anotheredness in all that we are. And what it means to grow in Christ. So, again, we have these definitive possessions that the author of Hebrews has spoken of, that in Jesus we have this astonishing, mind-blowing, heart-shaping access to God. Every one of us. We belong there because of what our great priest, our older brother Jesus, has done once and for all for us. And there are living implications that are meant to roll out of that. Some of that is to draw near. Some of that is to hold fast. And some of it is to consider these things regarding body life with one another. 
what we're to do, to stir up one another towards love and good works. Okay, how are we to do it? What are the means? How does this thing flesh itself out? Well, uh, the author of Hebrews tells us this as well. You see in verses 24 and now 25. Let me back up to the to 24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is the goal. This is the target. This is what we're aspiring towards. And he tells us the means. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so he speaks to this, excuse me, negatively and then positively, giving us a a holistic picture of of what it would look like to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. It it would not, you're not going to do it this way. You are going to do it this way. Okay? You're not going to do it by neglecting to meet together. That's the first thing. Which, there's an implication in there, in what, what he's saying. You know, when, when he says, as is the habit of some, what does that tell you? That some have done that. And some are. And when you go back and you read everything that the author of Hebrews has set up to this point, there's a lot, there are a lot of warning passages in there about people whose faith has grown cold. And it's, he's clearly implying that this is part of what has happened in their lives. They have drifted into the shoals, not even aware until it was perhaps too late, and maybe even then, not even realizing. You know, there that, that, that was a time in these, you know, whoever it is that's coming to the author's mind and the audience's mind, there was a time that these individuals, they were enmeshed in the life of the body. You know, any, any given Sunday, they're not there. Everybody goes, whoa, where, where's, you know, Bob? And, you know, they're not going to find Bob mentioned in Hebrews, but, um, but, but people would get that. They were, they, they, were, they were missed, especially, you know, two weeks go by. Now they're being pursued. They were once enmeshed, but something has happened. They've grown complacent. They've grown callous. And I don't mean like, you know, in the sense of like, you know, socially rough and mean and impolite. And I mean like callous in the sense of like, like you know, the, the, what builds up physically, you know, on your hands, the deadened skin so that you don't feel. Or if you're a little kid, you know, like I was many moons ago and running around in my backyard that had lots of holly trees in there. And yes, barefoot, we were running around screaming, you know, in May, but feeling nothing by, by September. Calloused, you know, able to run over gravel or, or fresh tar. Callous. You're not feeling anything. You're not feeling a need of community. And so you're not pursuing community. You don't, you don't see a need. You don't see the mutuality. You don't see the one anotheredness anymore. Um, and you know how this happens. Some of us can identify with this. Some of us, that's where we are now, I dare say. Um, the good crowds out the better. You know what I mean? Self-managers, time managers talk about the, 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 the dangers of letting the urgent crowd out the important, right? And you're looking at the quadrants, and I'm not going to bore you with all that, but, but you know, where you let the urgent crowd out the important or the good crowd out the better. And, and so um, 
the priorities just start to shift a little bit and, and commitments begin to wane a little bit and decisions made, I'm okay, all right. They've given, up, they've given up more than they know. So how not to do this? How we're not going to be stirring one another up towards love and good deeds? It's not going to happen if we're not meeting together. It is, think with me, impossible to stir up one another towards love and good deeds if we're not with one another. Right? I mean, that would be an oxymoron. Some of you have used this with me before, so I'll just use it without, and I hope it doesn't insult anyone. Military intelligence, an oxymoron. <laughs> Family vacation, often. Oxymoron. New antique. Oxymoron. You, you get the idea. Shared life together without being with one another. Growing in Christ without fellow Christians around you and with you. Oxymoron, folks. It's an oxymoron. Rather, encouraging one another up. There is no stirring without meeting. But in God's hands, He takes these meetings, whatever form that would take, our meeting together on a regular basis. I'll, get, I'll roll this out in just a minute, maybe what it might look like. But He takes that as a means of grace in His hands. What would it mean? What would it mean to encourage one another in the way that the author of Hebrews speaks of here? It, mean, it would at least would mean these things. It would mean to speak the promises of the gospel to one another. To share the stories of his work in our lives with one another. It would mean allowing yourself, putting yourself in a position to pray with other people and asking them, probing them, pushing them to want to know more how you can pray for them and also let them do it reciprocally with you. And let others, don't, I mean, not just be all big in your spiritual boots and saying, how can I pray for you? But letting others pray for you and to love you in that way. That our you know, faith, hope, and love, that we love such that our faith together, our, our, plural, our faith, would grow deeply that our hope would grow stronger, our resolve would grow deeper, our love in this way, the shared life together, that it would have to mean at least this in terms of what it would mean to encourage, to encourage one another. And, and why? Well, he goes on to say, make a, he alludes to a bit more because of the context in which we live. This is not, we are not in Disney World. When, he, when, when the author makes reference to this day that is drawing near, that's a reference to the day. The day of Jesus' return. The, the reality, the, the New Testament speaks again and again and again. The prophets of the Old will allude to it as well, that 
that we live in the last days now. You don't have to wait for the last days. We've been in them. And we'll be in them until we live in the time between the times, between the first and the sure. Just as surely as history tells us Jesus came once, He is coming again. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we live in those times. And in those times, we are promised, in case you hadn't noticed, periods of stress and trouble and danger. And that's the context. A battle, a war, a struggle, a striving. And we need one another. You can't do this alone. Not if you're taking this seriously. Pursuing Christ. Following Christ. That can't be done on an island. We are our brother and sister's keeper. And we need to be kept. That's all in here. It's all in here. He alludes to this in Hebrews 3. Verses 12 through 13, I know we read verse 1 a little while ago, but verses 12 through 13, and I know I said this is in that larger context, and you go back and read the whole letter, I mean, you see all these warning passages and allusions back to the Old Testament saints and Israel's struggles and the up and the down and a whole lot of down, and he says, alluding to all that, verses 12 and 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, there's two things with that. There's a promise being held out there. If you'll do these things, that will help insulate and protect you from what I'm warning you of. But what's on the flip side of that promise? The warning that if you don't, Look at the wreckage behind you. And it could be you. Heed the warning. Embrace the promise. We need one another. We need this. We are hurting ourselves and hampering one another to the degree that we fail to heed this. This call to shared life. Again, as I said a moment ago, this kind of meeting with one another, shared life, that is a means of grace in our lives. Alright, my last Olympics illusion here. That's illusion, not illusion. Long before we heard of Michael Phelps, there was Eric Musambani. I can see none of you know who I'm talking about. So, I have a little time, and I will tell you. He was one of the great stories from the Summer 2000 Olympics. Okay? Now I would encourage you, not now, please not now, but when you get home, look up the guy's name and look up some, vid some videos on Eric Musambani. I'll read you a, a summary of, of what I'm talking about here. Eric the Swimmer, now this is really in quotation marks, okay? Eric the Swimmer, Musambani, of Equatorial Guinea was an unlikely hero of the Sydney Olympic Games. The 22-year-old African had only learned to swim that January, had only practiced in a 20-meter pool without lane markers, and had never raced more than 50 meters. By special invitation of the International Olympic Committee under a special program that permits poor countries to participate, even though their athletes don't meet customary standards, he had been entered 
in the 100-meter men's freestyle. Okay, he never raced more than 50 meters. He's now in an Olympic pool, international television. He's got to double that. Okay. When the other two swimmers in his heat, there's only three. Okay, and you see the video. There's only three up on the blocks. When the other two swimmers in his heat were disqualified because of false starts, <laughs> Musambani was forced to swim alone. Eric Musambani was to use the words of an AP press store, AP story about his race, charmingly inept. He never put his head under the water's surface. He flailed wildly to stay afloat. With 10 meters left to the wall, he virtually came to a stop. Some spectators thought he might drown. Even though his time was over a minute slower than what qualified for the next level of competition, the capacity crowd at the Olympic Aquatic Center stood to their feet and cheered the swimmer on. After what seemed like an eternity, Musambani reached the wall and hung on for dear life. When he caught his breath and regained his composure, the French-speaking Musambani said through an interpreter, quote, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. That's what we see in our text. You and I, you don't believe this. I, can, I know. I know. I don't believe it either. <laughs> but it's true. I am Eric Musambani. And so are you. You can't swim those hundred meters. I can't either. And we need each other. We desperately need each other cheering us to the wall. That's what we're to consider. So I'm going to say some hard things right now. Sunday morning, coming here. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Sunday morning, coming in for the sermon. Maybe the announcements, some of you don't make it for those, but that's okay. Sunday morning, whatever you call we're doing here, vital as it is for your growth and your spiritual health is not enough. It is not enough. Sneaking out of here the moment the benediction has been given. Lest anyone talk to you is not enough. And by the way, hanging around for another ten minutes is not enough. One shot one per week is not enough. What the author of Hebrews is speaking of so clearly here. This is not me, folks. This is the Word of God. What Holy Scripture is saying here implies something reciprocal. It implies something interpersonal. Our getting up in one another's grill. Okay? And it looks like, I mean, as an application of it, just frankly... That's why we have the community group ministry that we have. 
as I said a little while ago, it requires intentionality. It's so important, but we fight it and resist it so much that it's not going to happen on its own unless we plan for it. That's why we have this community group ministry. We have to do something like that. We need to be in the Word together. We need to be in prayer together. We need to be in life together. Hebrews is very clear on this point. And again, this is an extension of, I mean, it's all that we sang of earlier, these definitive possessions that we have in Jesus. This unlimited, fantastic, astonishing access that we have to the throne room of God made possible only because of His Son. And as an extension of that, applications of that, the author of Hebrews says, draw near, hold fast, and consider these things meaning to gather together. So if you have an issue with this, you can talk to the author of Hebrews about it. Because that's what he's saying. Some of you have heard me use this analogy before, this image. We are like porcupines huddled together in a storm. Needing one another and needling one another at the same time. That is Relationships 101 with the doctrine of creation and the fall brought into it. I really think, I mean, I know different churches have different animals that they take on as their mascots, and one church I'm familiar with has a rooster. I think maybe the porcupine <laughs> might be a good one. I'm not sure. Let me give you another image. We're not just like porcupines, we're like coals. Uh, you may have heard this old, old story um, of, of a pastor who goes to visit an oft-absent member of his, of his church one cold, wintry day, knocks on the door, he's let in, doesn't say a word, sits down, doesn't say a word, it's really, really awkward, and uh, finally he just gets up and walks over to the fireplace where there's a roaring fire going. He takes the tongs, he picks up a coal, and he puts it down on the hearth, and again, doesn't say anything, just sits back down, and they just look at that coal as it gets darker and cooler until it just, it's out. And his host gets the, gets the point of this quiet but fiery sermon. Lest we have, if, if we do not have the larger hole around us like coals, our faith hope and love will grow cold. There's another side of that, by the way. This is not really the, normally the point of that illustration. But if you were to take a thermometer to that pile of coals and take that one coal out, I can't help but think that that larger hole has just dropped a couple of degrees or some fraction thereof as well. See, it's not just the individual that needs the whole, the whole needs the individual. And neither are the same and is healthy without the other. There is this reciprocal side to all of this. And the author of Hebrews is certainly speaking to that. This, this, the need here is so real because it's, it, there is a battle. There are stakes. It is a struggle that our faith would be lived out 
that our hope would be held. And God in His mercy has given us one another to love that indeed our faith and hope, and theirs too, would grow. And those things are worth growing. May we hear it. Let's pray. Lord, this is so counter to our tendencies and our bent at so many levels. We live in a very individualistic culture that says that the mark of maturity is the ability to stand on your own without really needing other people in your life. And yet you are saying that is a damnable lie. This is hard for us to admit that we need others. At times it's hard for us to grasp that we are needed by others. We are so busy with our overloaded schedules where the good crowds out the best and the urgent gets pushed aside because of, well, the important gets pushed aside because of the urgent. And then even, we confess, even when we do gather, we're not very good at listening and we're not very good at opening up because the gospel's not connecting to our hearts. And yet all of that said, whatever our bent and our tendencies may be, we still need this. We were made for this, again, as we said earlier, in the image and the likeness of, of you. And the world is looking. The world is watching. Can it be found? Can community... Can shared life be found anywhere? And in this sad world, if it's to be found anywhere, it's going to be among us. Not because of us, but because of you. And because of the gospel. And so we are pleading for your help. Reset our bent. Heal us, we pray. Bless these community groups as we begin again here this fall. We pray in your name. Amen. Let me ask our ushers if you would help us out. We are now coming to the